0: Good morning, Familia. My name is Gabi Mera and I serve with our communications team. Just a few announcements before we get started this morning. If you're new to Wheaton Bible Church, welcome. We would love to connect with you. Feel free to scan the QR code on the seat back in front of you or fill out the connect card which you can drop off at the boxes in the back of the sanctuary or at the welcome desk in the atrium. Advent season is once again here and we are so excited to celebrate the birth of Christ. This year we will hold a few services before Christmas day. On the 23rd, we will have a candlelight service at 6 p.m. in English and a service at 8 p.m. in Spanish. Childcare will not be provided. On the 24th, we will have a contemporary service at 2 and 4 p.m., both of which will have childcare. The 4 p.m. service will also have Shine special needs programming. Later that evening, we will have a traditional service at 7 p.m. Finally, on Christmas Day, we will have a bilingual service at 11 a.m. No childcare will be available, but we want to encourage families to worship together. For a detailed look at services and childcare, visit wheatonbible.org slash Christmas. It's not too late to purchase gifts for The Christmas Store. This is a great opportunity to be the hands and feet of Jesus. The Christmas Store provides an opportunity for vulnerable parents in our community to purchase new gifts for their children at a reduced price. Place your donated gifts unwrapped and with the receipt attached in the boxes in the marked bins around the church. You can also purchase gifts online that will ship directly to our Christmas store. Check out wheatonbible.org slash Christmas store. Finally, we have two exciting events during Advent. The first is building a Christmas memory on Saturday, December 10th. You and your kids can come and play group games, hear the story of Christ's birth and build a gingerbread nativity. Two sessions will be held and the cost is $25 per family. Second, we are going to hold a Christmas carol sing on Sunday, December 11th at 6 p.m. It'll include a time of caroling led by our choir, orchestra, and handbell choir. This is a great opportunity to invite someone who may not know the true story of Christmas. For more information about both and to register for Building a Christmas Memory, visit wheatandbible.org slash Christmas. That's all I have for today. Have a wonderful Sunday and week ahead. Good morning, Wheaton Bible Church. Welcome to Advent. It's a pleasure to have started our Advent season together this morning. We are preparing to celebrate the birth of Jesus and anticipating his second coming all at the same time. Because Advent is so short and there's so many great Christmas carols to sing, we jump right in today and we sing these songs which are so familiar yet so meaningful as we celebrate and communicate the story of Jesus' arrival. Let's stand and worship the King together.
1: Thank you.
2: Romans fifteen four and nine through thirteen. Whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope as it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you and me with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you and I, may abound in hope. This week, as we start our Advent journey together, we want to focus on hope. There is so much sin and evil in this world, uncertainty, instability, conflict, trials, and suffering. Life can feel overwhelming and discouraging. Our faith does not deny these experiences. The world is broken and everything and everyone in it has been affected by the fall. But at the same time, we know through the scriptures that the story is not over yet. It will not be like this forever. So the scriptures call us to hope in God because hope is what helps us get beyond these things and fight discouragement. But what is hope? Hope is faith-filled, confident expectation, joyful anticipation that God will do everything everything he has promised because of what he has already done in Jesus, the hope of the world. He broke into my and your brokenness and darkness. The resurrection and the restoration of all things, it's already begun. Our full redemption is underway so we hope. This reenactment of our anticipation of the birth of Christ is a yearly reminder of the profound, eternal, unchanging, and unshakable hope we have because of the incarnation. God is with us. Jesus is the hope of the world. His presence today and His second coming when all things will become new. We light this first Advent candle to remind us to hope in Jesus.
1: Angels on high sing Gloria, Gloria in excelsis.
3: Spreading the news across the land, Gloria in excelsis. Angels Gloria on high sing Gloria, Gloria, in, Gloria excelsis. in excelsis. Spreading the news across the land, Gloria in excelsis. Their songs break forth, the valleys and hills and
1: mountains hear the music echo, spreading news to all nations. Angels and angels on high, sing gloria, gloria in excelsis,
3: spreading good spreading news the across the across land,
1: the Gloria in excelsis, Gloria, Gloria. Gloria, 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 Gloria,
3: Angels, angels on, on high sing glory, Gloria in excelsis. Spreading good news across the land, Gloria in excelsis.
1: Gloria, 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 Gloria. gloria, 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 gloria.
0: be seated.
4: We continue with a spirit of worship and adoration to our Lord. I'm going to call the ushers to come to the front. And as they come to the front, uh, this is part of our worship. This is uh, the part of our worship service in which we uh, respond to the Lord in adoration through our giving. Uh, If you are new to the church, I want to remind you um, that this is not for you. Please do not feel obligated to participate in this. But this is for those of us that consider this is our local church. And we believe that this is where the Lord has us. You guys uh, may pass the plates. We continue uh, to pass the plates, uh, I want to explain to you, take a few seconds and explain to you why is it that we do the things that we do? And why is it that as a church we consider giving uh, such an important thing. Um, uh, we're going to do a little exercise as a family, but think about a gift uh, that you received, that you really enjoy, that you could never forget that gift. Just think there for a second. A gift that you have ever received, that you have never forgotten that beautiful and amazing gift you received. Just think, think about it for a second. Got it? Is there anyone here who never got a gift? All right, the reason why I wanted to have, I want you guys to have that, that uh, vision in your mind is because what made that, that gift special was not just that you got the gift, but for most of us, what made that gift special is the person who gave us that gift. See what gives meaning to a gift is not just the gift itself, but who gave it to you. Because that person is saying that you are important to him or to her. I wanna make the argument that part of the reason why as a church we participate in uh, offering and tithing and all these things, in being generous toward the church that the Lord has given us, is because we have gotten the best gift. The best gift is not just that we got salvation from Jesus Christ, but it was that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the ultimate gift. See, I believe that part of the reason why we are generous is because we have gotten the best gift that ever existed. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The one that is going to spend eternity with us. The one that never walks away. The one that is always present. The one, the one that is committed to us even when we're not committed to him. That is the best gift. And that's why he came and that's why we celebrate Advent and that's why we give. Amen? For those of you that are new to the church as well, there's three different ways to give. You could always give online by going to wheatandbible.org give. You could always give your offering every Sunday when we pass the plate so you could send your offerings to the offices of the church if you are worshiping with us from home. Let us pray. My beautiful savior, we give because we have received. We give, Lord, because we have the best gift anybody could ever receive, you. Lord, we are grateful, Lord, that when we are lost, when we were blind, when we, are de- when we were dead in our sins, Lord, you came seeking for us. You humbled yourself, self-seeking for us, became a human being, and then went to the cross. I pray, Lord, that during this season of Advent, that image uh, stays in our minds and in our hearts and transforms us in such a way, Lord, that we enjoy the season in a proper way. Yes, Lord, during this season, we will see a lot of gifts, and a lot of food, and a lot of parties, and a lot of enjoyment. And all of those things are good because they come from you. But I pray, Lord, that you please keep us from forgetting that the ultimate gift, Jesus Christ, is what we really celebrate during this season. I'm grateful, Lord, for a generous church. I'm grateful, Lord, for uh, the staff that we have that give us wisdom and discernment on how to use this money that we have collected. I'm grateful, Lord, that during this year we have been able to serve the community and love our neighbors. And I'm grateful, Lord, that week after week we continue to be edified by the power of your word and we get to worship you and live in community. But I also know, Lord, that during this season there are a lot of brothers and sisters That we struggle. We struggle with loneliness, Lord. We struggle because they have have lost something or lost, lost someone. And I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that during this season, your presence may be so powerful, so real, Lord. That all your church may feel, not just know, but feel that you are with them. I pray, Lord, that you bless the preaching of your word this morning. I pray for the presence of your spirit. I pray that your spirit may illuminate our minds and affect our affections and influence our will. I pray, Lord, that you help us see the beauty of Advent and the power of what Jesus came to bring. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus. And we all say
5: Advent is a special time of year where we as God's people set aside time to reorient our hearts on the truth of who Jesus is. But during times of increasing darkness, how do we again come to Advent, despite the trouble we see and face, to trust and believe in the truth of Jesus' character? It is important to remember that God's people have always faced overwhelming circumstances, The Israelites, the nation miraculously brought about by God who would bring forth the promised Messiah, consistently violated their covenant with God and suffered devastating consequences. Throughout the pages of Scripture, we see so clearly how sin leads people down dark paths. But yet, we also see God sovereignly interrupt the painful circumstances and trials of life in order to bring hope, love, joy, peace. No space is too dark for God's light to shine. Scripture then reminds us who God is, has been, and will always be. In the birth of Jesus Christ, all the stories of God interrupting our world for His plans find their ultimate fulfillment. Amidst the darkness and uncertainty life brings, God seeks to not simply dispel the darkness but bring the light of His glorious grace. Advent reminds us once again that the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, the light of the world, is the interruption that led to our salvation being secured on the cross. Because of His victory over sin and darkness, we can forever experience the hope, love, joy, and peace God gives
4: us. Good morning, familia. Today we start with our Advent season, and I want to welcome you all again. Those of you that are um, visiting for the first or second time, I just want to let you know that we are so glad that you are here. And those of you that are already part of the church, it's always nice to see you from here. You guys look really good today. Um... As you saw is the, the story of, of Christianity is a story of redemption and the Lord moving and the Lord doing and the Lord uh, demonstrating how powerful He is. But if there's one thing that we know about the history of Christianity is that it's a story of hope, and that's why today we 're going to spend a few minutes talking about this important concept that we call. Hope. And I want I want to make the argument. I want to start by making the argument that it is impossible to live without hope. That it's impossible for someone to need certain level of hope in order to survive in the midst of change and chaos and pain and all these things that we go through. There's a historian and a scholar, his name Andrew Del Banco. About 20 years ago, he gave this lecture that he called The Real American Dream. A meditation and hope and he makes the argument that in the history of our nation we have moved from having hope in God to having hope in our nation to having hope in ourselves and he says that, that that's because that has been our history the reason why as a society in general We are sad and unhappy and struggle with so many different things. And I want to make the argument that I believe that that is true. And because we have walked away from having hope in God, we also experience uncertainty and fear. I wonder if that's part of the reason why in the last 20 years, the birth rates have dropped significantly. I actually heard people saying, why would we have kids today? If everything is going south. I wonder if this is part of the reason why anxiety and depression and suicide have drastically increased in the last 20 years. Especially among young people. I wonder if this is part of the reason why people are controlled by the fear of death. And it's the driving force behind things we do and the things we don't do. And I wonder if that's part of the reason why we don't know how to handle suffering. See, that's something that, you, that Christianity provides. Uh, biblical hope is not just important, it's crucial. In order for us to be able to live in this broken world, and that's why, as we start Advent, we want to talk about this topic. And for that, we're going to be looking into a famous passage. I believe First Peter chapter one verses three to nine. And I'm going to ask you to please stand for the reading of God's word uh, as a sign of reverence to Him and His Word. First Peter chapter one verses three to nine. The word says, "Praise, uh, praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ." In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope. Can you say living hope? hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power unto the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is the word of the Lord. You may take a seat. So in this passage, we're going to see that the hope that jesus comes to bring is a number one an active hope and also a grieving hope and also a resting hope active hope grieving hope and resting hope let's go with point number one active hope I want to start by saying that I don't think that the message of hope is unique to Christianity. I actually think that every philosophy in life and every religion in the world, to a certain degree, has some sort of message about uh, hope. What I want to argue, though, is that the message of Christianity in regards to hope is unique. That the way we talk about hope as Christians is unique compared to the secular view and uh, some of the Eastern religion's views. Um, and to explain that, then, we have to start by seeing what the text, how the text describes what our hope is and is not. So, for example, in verses 4, 5, and 8, and 9, look at how Peter, the author of this writer, talks about hope. He says that this is an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you. In verse 5, he calls it the coming salvation that is ready to be revealed. And in verse 9, he talks about the salvation of our souls. He describes this future hope With these three different expressions, inheritance, the coming salvation, and the salvation of your souls. I don't think that this is going to give us the whole explanation of what a future hope looks like, but at least it gives us an idea. So for example, if our future hope is an inheritance, means that it's a gift. Right? Because an inheritance is not something you work for or you earn. It's something that is given to you. Therefore, it's a gift. It's an undeserved gift. Amen? Amen. It also tells us, Peter also calls this future hope, the coming salvation. What is interesting, though, is that the word salvation there in the original can be translated as completely free. Or completely delivered. Meaning that this thing that Jesus promised that he's going to bring in the future is something that we will experience in a way that there will be no more struggles and no more pains. No more relational issues, no more personal issues. It's a a place and a time in which everything is free and everything is delivered. Ourselves and this creation. The way I say it is everything will be completely restored. Peter also calls this future salvation, this hope, the salvation of our souls. Now, that expression I really like. Because if salvation means that we were going to be delivered or freed or completely restored, what does the word soul mean then in the text? And I think that a different word to, to translate the word uh, soul is to be to have life. To be fully alive. You know why that matters to me? Because I... You and I have never been in a place in which we feel completely alive. You know how we know that? Because we are always before the presence of sin. And the Bible says, and Peter says, that there will be a time in which we will really experience life to the fullest. That, listen, it's going to be so beautiful. The restoration is going to be so beautiful that when we look at each other for the first time, you are going to be so amazing that you won't be able to recognize each other, at least for a fragment of time. So it'll be something like, wow, I I did not know that you could be this beautiful. You know where I get that from? C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis, in one of his writings, he makes this argument that we have to remember that the most uninteresting person on this planet one day will be a person that if you see it, you will be tempted to worship. And that a beautiful description. The most, um, the most broken, simple, ordinary person in this planet right now, when you look at them um, in the full restoration of everything, you will say, "Wow, you are so beautiful that I'm almost tempted to worship you." See, that's why I think we struggle with this picture of future hope or heaven. I'm going to use those two words. Is because since we have never been in a place like that, it is hard for us to capture it. Have you ever been in a place where there's no shame? Have you ever been in a place where there's no guilt? Have you ever been in a season in which you didn't struggle with your sin at all? Have you ever been in a place where there is no temptation to sin? Have you ever been in a place where you are 100% secure? Have you ever been in a place where there is no resentment at all? Have you ever experienced a time, a really extended time, in which there is no sickness and pain? If you think that you have lived there, you are living in a bubble. That's why sometimes we have such a hard time to think about this place and time in which God is going to make everything new. Our emotions will be restored. Our affections will be restored. Our thoughts will be restored. Our will will be restored. And our physical bodies will be restored. So someone may hear that and say, what good is that if I'm still struggling here? Why talk about this future thing if I'm still struggling here? And this is why hope is so important. Because hope is a dangerous thing to have. I don't know how many of you guys watch any of the, the movies, The Hunger Games. Uh, one of the first movies, actually the first movie, there's a, there's a character which is kind of the, the evil guy. His name is President Snow. And he's got a sentence that I've never forgotten. He says, hope is the only thing is stronger than Fear. A little hope is effective, a lot of hope is dangerous. People do crazy things when they are full of hope. And this is precisely the reason why Peter calls our hope, not just hope, but living hope. A living hope that gives us joy. Look at what it says in verses 3, 6, and 8. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope. In verse 6, he says, in all these, you greatly rejoice. In verse 8, he says, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Did you notice the word living? That word can also be translated as a life, active and alive. That the future hope we have is not just a hope in which we think that one day we're going to be okay, but it's a, it's a picture of the future that really affects your presence. That's why Peter uses the phrase, greatly rejoice in the present. He's not just talking about this happy, emotional rush. You, when the Bible talks about joy, it's this thing that is not bound to circumstances. Joy is not bound to things going well or going bad. Joy is this internal thing that the Lord gives you that regardless of what you're going through, you know that you are okay. In verse 8, in a very poetic way, he describes this as inexpressible joy. Have you guys ever seen a little kid extremely happy that he doesn't or she doesn't find the words to express how happy they are? It's like That's what he has in mind. And he's glorious. This image of the future is so glorious that he brings glory to our present. Don't ever forget that the word glory in the Bible is always something like weight. It's heavy on you. Let me bring another image of a kid so you can picture this. At least the way I imagine it to be. I use kids because kids are the ones, usually little ones, they really don't care about what people think of them. Later on, they develop that sin. But as little ones, they really don't care about what people think, and they just do. Have you ever seen, there's a ton of videos online on this, but have you ever seen a kid react when he sees his father or his mother coming back from war? So think of a two or three-year-old kid that has not seen his or her parents for about a year or two, have you seen their expression when they come back? Actually, you know, I watch a ton of videos in preparation for this sermon. Every single time, there are no words used. It's just running, hugging, and crying of this inexpressible joy. And Peter says that the image of the future, in a very supernatural way, produces that in our hearts today. That this future restoration, this future fulfillment, this future beauty, this future perfection, when we embrace it with our minds and hearts, affects us in such a way that today we can experience this glorious, inexpressible joy. The question is, why? What is it that our future holds that allows us to experience this joy today? Well, this is where verses 4 and 5 are going to help us. By the way, my po- point number one is super long. so it's the, I'm going to go long, all right? So look at what it says in verse, verse fo- uh, 4. It says that we have this inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade and this inheritance is kept in heaven for you. And from that, I'm going to give you three reasons why this future hope affects the way you live today. Number one, it says that our living hope is permanent. That the future hope the what is coming is permanent. And we know that it's permanent because of the words that the text uses. He says that the future is indestructible because it never perishes. Is incorruptible because he never spoils, and is unchangeable because he never fades. It says that Jesus one day is gonna come, which by the way, the word advent comes the first coming and the second coming. So I could use them in both senses. In both senses. Uh, so but it says that when Jesus returns, he's gonna come to bring something that is indestructible, incorruptible, and unchangeable. That means that you and I, if we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, one day we're going to be in a place in which beauty never goes away. In which perfection never goes away. In which pleasure never goes away. And then it makes makes me ask the question, then why is it that I'm so obsessed with my present? If what is coming is something that is indestructible, incorruptible, and unchangeable, why do I care so much about the things that I live here that are destructible, corruptible, and changeable? You know, the honest truth is that beauty here fades away. That perfection here fades away. That health here fades away. That everything that is good fades away. At the end of the day, as long as we are here, everything fades away. You know, if there's a group of people that really struggles with this, are celebrities and athletes. Have you seen how desperate this group of people are to try to hold on to things that eventually will fade away? Listen, there's nothing more sad than to see a person trying to hold on to a beauty that is fading away. My family and I went over the summer, we went to visit some relatives in Colombia. And one thing that I learned as I was there is that Colombia is considered one of the top places, uh, experts in plastic surgery. So listen, no exaggeration whatsoever. So I was in three different cities, and in in those three different cities, I saw a ton of people that were like. (laughs) (sniffs) (laughs) It looks weird. Now, don't laugh too hard, because when you go to Florida or California, you see the same thing. And it's like, how desperate you have to be. How desperate you have to be to not accept that beauty is fading away. Now, I don't think that many of us would do that, but we do other things. Call it midlife crisis. Call it whatever you want, but at the end of the day, we always struggle with something similar. But the more we embrace, the more we love, the more we capture what the future looks like when we have something that never perishes never spoils and never fades away the question you got to ask is why settle for anything less reason number two why our hope is a living hope is because what is coming is certain did you notice the phrase that this inheritance is kept in heaven for us you know, the word kept is a beautiful word because it means literally that God is shielding our future. That is keeping in custody our future. That it doesn't matter what you go through and what I go through. The devil cannot take that away from you, the world cannot take that away from you, and your sin cannot take that away from you because God is keeping heaven for you. If you don't think that that has an effect, in the way you live today, let me give you this illustration. In modern times, one of the arguments non-Christians have against Christianity is that they say that Christianity is the religion of the, it's a white religion. That's the expression. Meaning that only Caucasians believe, believe in Christianity and nobody else does. What I find interesting about that statement though, is that if there's one group of people, that believed in the future hope, that believed in the certainty and the permanence of the future, were slaves. Did you know that a lot of people during the slavery sang gospel songs that had to do with the future? Because the future not only sustains you, but empowers you to continue to go, even when you are being mistreated, abused, uh, taking all rights away, and taking your dignity away. No one can argue that the picture of heaven doesn't affect the way you live. Because it's permanent. And it's certain. It cannot be taken away from you. Reason number three, our hope is a living hope because what is coming is infinitely better. Infinitely better. Listen, this is my invitation to you. Grab anything good that you have here and compare it to what is coming and tell me which one is better. I wanna make the argument that this is how we live. Everything we do and how we function, we always do that calculation in our minds. We are always choosing not just between good and bad, and we talked about this a few weeks ago. We're not only choosing between good and bad, but we are choosing between good and infinite better. Isn't that what we do with food? We do that in every area of our lives. You don't eat the food that you don't like because you know that there's food that is better than the food you have in front of you. Like my family and I just celebrated Thanksgiving, like the rest of you guys. I mean, in my family, we have um, like about five different uh, nationalities from Latin America. But we also have biracial couples. Um, one of these biracial couples is a Guatemalan with an African-American. And in Thanksgiving, we all bring different dishes. So like my wife that is from Guatemala, she brings Guatemalan food, right, which is delicious. Right, and then my uh, my sister-in-law, which is married to my my African-American brother-in-law, she learns how to cook his brother his uh, his mom's recipes. So every Thanksgiving we have typical African-American food, Guatemalan food, African-American food, and of course we gotta have Colombian food because it's the best food, right? And it's so interesting to see the family dynamics. Because people are going uh, to grab their food, and everyone is, skips everybody else's food, so they land to the food that they really like. It's super interesting. I've tried it all because I just like to eat all, right? But you see how people say, well, this looks nice. Where is this from, Guatemala? Yeah, let me go to the Colombian food. <laughs> and my brother-in-law does the same thing with African-American food. Why, why do we do that? Because in our heads, there's good food, but this is the best food. I want to invite you to see. I want to invite you to imagine. I want to invite you to embrace the reality that our future hope is infinitely better than anything good you have here. See, we ought to live the way many of these people in slavery lived. The phrase that he was used is, they were too other world oriented. If there's something we can learn from them, is that. What is coming is infinitely better than what we have here. And reason number four, we have a living hope because what is coming is secure. Look what it says in verse five. It says that those who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. This, this is one of my favorite verses from this text. Because it says that our future hope is permanent. Our future hope is certain. Our future hope is infinite better. Our future hope, God is keeping that for us. But this text tells us that not only he's keeping the future for us, but that he is keeping us for the future. That he's going to stick with you until he takes you home. That he's not just giving you a picture and say, just get there by yourself. But that he's going to hold on to you until he, until he takes you home. That he's powerful enough to hold you. Until he takes you home. See, I would love to have that power. I would love to be able to say to my family and the people I love, I'm going to protect you until I take you home. I just can't. Not because I don't want to, but because I can't. I don't have the power or the ability to make that promise and fulfill it. Because I, too, get sick. Because I, too, sin. And because I, too, will die. But my God can make that promise. If he says that he's going to take me home, he will take me home. If he says that he's going to take you home, he will take you home. That's why our future hope is so beautiful and perfect. And that's why it's supposed to uh, create in us this um, glorious joy. Inexpressible joy. It is permanent. It's certain. It's infinite better. He's holding it for you. And he's holding you until you, t- until you go home. This is why I've said it before. One of my favorite, favorite uh, hymns in the history of the world he will hold me fast. When I fear, when I fear my faith my would fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path, for my love is often cold. He must hold me fast. That's why we celebrate Advent. Because that's our hope. Our hope is a living, active hope. And also our hope is a grieving hope. Point number two. Don't worry. This will go fast. (laughs) You know, this is super interesting because Peter recognizes that as long as we're here, things will be painful. Peter says that as long as we continue here, between the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus, we are going to struggle. And he makes it so clear in verse 6. He says, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Notice that he says that our suffering from a divine perspective is, from a little wh- is for a little while. So compared to eternity, compared to what is yet to come, our suffering here is for a little while. But then he recognizes that, that it's going to be complicated. And that we have permission to grieve. See, interesting that the word trials there can be translated in three different ways. And and the three ways apply to the text. So trials could be translated as us suffering because of something outside of us. Or we suffer because of something inside of us. Or we suffer because God allows it to shape us into the people that he wants us to be. That's why in verse 7, for example, he says that these trials have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith uh, may result in praise, glory, and honor. And I love the honesty Peter brings because he says the future is beautiful, but as long as you're here, you will go through trials. So learn to grieve. That, my brothers and sisters, is something that only Christianity provides. The only, quote-unquote, religion in the world that gives you permission to grieve and cry and weep is Christianity. And yet, without losing hope. See, Peter is not calling us to have this survival mentality. Just endure it. See, Peter is not, he doesn't have this escapist mentality. Just run away from grief. See, Peter doesn't have this assimilated mentality. Just become like one of them so you don't have to suffer. See, Peter here does not have the stoic mentality. Be indifferent to your pain and the struggle. Be passive before your pain or simply tolerate your pain. Peter is not like that. Peter says pain is real. Trials are real. Suffering is real, therefore grieve. But grieve with hope. Now why do I say that this is unique to Christianity? Because the secular world cannot do that for you. And Eastern religions cannot do that for you. You know what the secular world tells us? I'm going to give you this example with the fear of death. The secular mentality says, well, don't worry about dying. You just cease to be. You cease to exist. You know what the problem is with that? Number one is that it makes you feel that it's wrong when you're grieving because you lost someone you love. And number two, tries to normalize something that is not normal. Did you know that dying is not normal? That was not part of God's original design. Therefore, we have permission to express what we feel. On the other hand, Eastern, some of the Eastern religions would say, well, don't worry. You die and then you become part of nature. Uh, I heard this story this week about this uh, uh, mother that is trying to explain to, his, to her little kid that, uh, that when people die, you become part of nature. If you want to see some of that, you got to watch The Lion King. That's there. The idea is this. The explanation is this. Don't worry about suffering and dying because when you die, you just become part of nature. So she tells the kid, don't, the cousin died and says, don't worry about your cousin. You know, he went into a better place, right? And now he's part of nature and he's part of the plants and he's part of everything. And the little kid starts crying and he says, I don't want my cousin to be a fertilizer. <laughs> See? The only philosophy, if you will, the only religion that allows you to grieve before pain, struggle, and death is Christianity. But he invites you to do that uh, while at the same time looking what is yet to come. That's why I call it grieving hope. Question How do we know that that is true? How do we know that the Lord is going to take us home? How do we know that he's gonna take home for us? He's gonna keep home for us. How do we know that when we get there, how do we know that he's gonna take us home? Point number three resting hope. Look at what it says in verse three. Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Super fast. You know how our hope is certain? Because Jesus resurrected. See, Jesus said that he would die and resurrect. And if he resurrected, that means that everything else he said has to be true. And if Jesus says that there's a better future because he resurrected, that's the ultimate evidence that that is going to happen. How do we know that our future is permanent? How do we know that the Lord is going to take us to heaven and he's keeping heaven for us? Because he's a God of great mercy. The word mercy in the text is covenant language. You know what that means? That God makes a commitment and because he's powerful and he does not change and he does not lie. If he says that he's going to keep heaven for you and he's going to take you to heaven, he will take you to heaven. How do we know that what is coming is infinite better? Because it's a gift from God. And all the gifts that God gives are always good gifts. How do we know? That we're going to get that inheritance. See, in order for you to get an inheritance. Someone has to die. And for us as Christians. Our Lord and Savior died first. Our inheritance is guaranteed. Because we're going to get what he deserved. Because he got what we deserve. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful that we get to recognize that while we live in this world the way it is, we will experience trials of different kinds. That there's no way around that, Lord. That as long as we are here, everything will fade away. And yet, part of the message, message of Advent is that you're giving us and you're keeping for us something that is uncorruptible, that does not perish, that does not fade, that does not spoil. I pray, Lord, that you give us an image so clear, so clear that our minds, our hearts, embrace the reality of what is yet to come lord please by the power of the spirit allow us not just to see but to feel and experience this inexpressible joy that is bound to our hope and we pray for all of this in the name of jesus and we all say
0: let's stand together and worship all this the great king we're going to start with what child is this and go into this is our god
3: embracing our weakness he overcomes all death and he frees us to live and we
1: sing
4: Our service, I want to remind you of a couple of things. Number one is, um, remember that for us it's a pleasure and a a blessing that we get to pray for you. So if you have prayer requests, please let us know. On Tuesday, uh, the staff is going to be praying with you and for you. That's the first thing. Second thing is, uh, if you have been part of the church for the last two years, what we have done is, um, uh, during this season, we take an extended time to pray. And we pray as a community and we pray as individuals. So this year we're doing something that we did last year. So for the four weeks of Advent, we're going to be gathering on Wednesday from 7 to 8 in the East Worship. Uh, We're going to be spending time before the Lord, bringing all petitions, everything that we could think of before the Lord, asking the Lord to move in amazing ways during this season. The second thing that I want to remind you with that is uh, think about the word one. During this season, I want to invite you to pray for one family member, one neighbor... And one co worker, people that need Jesus. Uh, we know that there is power in prayer, not just because we are praying, but because we are praying to the one that is all powerful. Amen? Amen? One family member, one co worker, neighbor, and one co worker. Got it? Let's do, um, let's receive the blessing that Jesus Christ guarantees for us. May God be gracious to us and bless us, and make his face shine on us so that his ways may be known on earth and his salvation among all the nations. And the church says, thank you for coming. We love you. Have a blessed day. You are sent.